So hi, this is what happens when Gilbert's preaching downstairs. I have to be up here all the time. So please bear with my very raspy voice, as what Mike likes to say. So. Today we're going to continue on with uh, a series that, that that we're doing this summer, and and um, as you can see, Gilbert likes to preach on the more um, uplifting and 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 positive sides of God. And I, on the other hand, like to look at the distraught and disappointments and frustrations of humanity. So it's kind of like he's a good cop and I'm the bad cop. So today we're going to continue on with our series. And um, as the title says, it's called Fifty Shades Darker. And it's just a coincidence. It has nothing to do with the movie that you might know or the book you might know. So uh, before I begin, I just want to share some... Uh, nuggets that I dug up recently. Uh, for those who, who know me, I like to go on the internet a lot, and I found this page that dedicates to archiving a lot of stock photos that does not seem to make sense. And so, and so I got really intrigued, and I started digging up like what's in there, and I found some really, really strange and weird ones. So here's one where it's like a guy with a watermelon helmet. I'm like, what's going on? And then another one is, I, I seriously have no idea what he's trying to do here. And this last one, I, I'm just so intrigued. I'm like, what, what were they thinking of doing? So I guess she's trying to rob a bank with a baguette or something. So, so why am I talking about this? So when you realize that when people are going through mental challenges, emotional darkness and challenges in life, the world just doesn't seem to make sense to them. And sometimes things that are seemingly logical to a normal person might not be the same for someone who might be going through depression and emotional uh, fatigue. And as we go on to this topic uh, that we're talking about, if you feel in any given time uncomfortable, where you've triggered anything that goes through in your past memories or trauma, please feel free to, to, to take a break and, and, and go to the foyer. But uh, today's topic is on the topic of suicide. And I would confess that I'm no expert on this topic. If you want to learn more about the medical and the psychological side of suicide, please feel free to talk to one of our doctors in our congregation or to Uncle Jack. But I would like to speak uh, with my hand experience as someone who has attempted suicide multiple times in my own life as to what it was like as someone who was going through that process until I decided that I want to end my own life. And so I think a word, um, actually before that, um, we talked about psalms, and lament psalms are the types of psalms in the book where the, the psalmist or the poet is really trying to express his frustration with God, his frustration or her frustrations with life, and how there's seemingly no way out in, in the circumstances they're in. And more often than not, you realize that in most of these lament psalms, there is some sort of consolation in the end that they will somehow find God 
they would rejoice and despite all the challenges, stay and proclaim the goodness of God in the midst of circumstances. But the psalm that we are looking at today is what many considered as one of the darkest psalms in the book of Psalms. Psalm 88, unlike the other psalms, does not end with a positive ending. Psalm 88 ends with the psalmist still frustrated with this world to the point where darkness is his only friend. And so, reflecting on my own journey, I, I realized this word really speaks to me. It's this German word that we don't have an uh, actual word to translate in the English language. And this is the word known as um, Schadenfreude, which by definition means joy gained from the pain of others. Joy gained from the pain of others. And sometimes when I was reflecting, when I was going through um, this process before I decided to commit suicide, especially even after I became a Christian, I, I can't help but get really angry at God, thinking, is this God really someone who would take joy in our suffering? Why didn't he intervene in my circumstances, even when I get to the point where I feel like this is not worth it anymore? I just want to end this without having to endure that endless pain. And even in our own walks in Christian life, like sometimes we might not get to the point where we want to go make some, some decision that is this extreme, but we might wonder, is God really this good and joyful and gracious God? Or does he sometimes have this side where he wants to just put pain on other people, put, put these circumstances on other people where it seems like, why God, of all things, do you put me, do you actually take joy in this? And so as we go through the Psalm 88 together, you realize that it, broke, it is nicely broken into three different sections. And they're quite relevant in a journey of someone who is going through the contemplation of committing suicide. So, first of all, it starts saying that um, there are a lot of afflictions that are going through in this psalmist who is contemplating on his or her circumstance. I'm overwhelmed with troubles and my life draws to death. I'm counted among those who go down to the pit. I'm like one without strength. I'm set apart like the, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, who are kept from your care. You have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depth. Your wrath lies heavily on me. You overwhelm me with all your ways. So, as we look at the idea of affliction, you realize that as someone who is going through the contemplation of suicide, there is simply a lot of pain that was unresolved, that no matter what you try to do, what kind of escape you're trying to, to, to attempt in order to avoid or manage this pain, it seems to be something that you cannot overcome. That there's something deep inside hurting 
that you cannot find a way out. And as I remember during that process of contemplation, there's just this anguish in me that I cannot find a solution to. That no matter what I try to do, whether through prayer, whether through talking to others, whether it might be finding those with no skills and repertoire to consult, that this pain persists. No matter what I do, it's still there. And it lingers to the point where I get really angry and frustrated with God, where I wonder, why, God, are you not taking this pain away from me? But there's more to it. As you go down to read the next few verses in this verse, this is what happens. I'll cry to you for help, Lord. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. Why, Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? And for those who are really picky, you realize this is comic sense. And people always say that and joke that comic sense is kind of like this in, an informal and very not serious thought. But this is exactly the mindset one who is going through the feeling of abandonment, that things just seem to be ridiculous, that no matter where you're seeking, no matter how hard you're trying to connect to God or to other people, there just seems to be this disconnect between you and those around you. That in this pit of darkness, you seem to feel that no one can connect to you. No one can understand you. And no one can give you that hand to pull you out from this pit of darkness. And the suicide thought would only deepen because there is no sense of hope whatsoever in front of you. People would often say that there is always a second chance. There is always light at the end of the tunnel. But for someone who has already gone into that thought of wanting to commit suicide, that's the last thing they want to hear. I don't want to have a second chance just so when I come out, the same thing will happen shortly after. And then it will be a repeating cycle where the darkness will just keep coming back, creeping, creeping, creeping to haunt you as you go into this grinding in life. And then at the end, at the final verses of this, of this psalm, it says that, from my mouth I have suffered and been close to death. I have borne your terrors and I'm in despair. My wrath has swept, your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. All day long, they surround me like a flood. They have completely engulfed me. You have taken from my friends and neighbors. Darkness is my close friend. And this is where we get to that final decision, where you want to go and end it all. This is when you feel the complete darkness of alienation. That not only do you feel disconnected, but you intentionally 
want to run away anyone around you. The connections, the relationships, and the opportunities to, to engage with other things would just remind you of this life that you have right now. Seemingly no way out. Seemingly endless. Seemingly hopeless. That at the end of the day, it says that darkness is my only friend. That it is through embracing darkness or this metaphor of death that you can find consolation in this pain that you're enduring. And often, as someone who walks alongside with people who are going through this contemplation of suicide or this misconception that the general public has, we always say that people who commit suicide are being weak, that they're finding the easy way out, that it's very much easier to go and end your life than to just grind it through and endure and overcome this pain of yours inside. But it actually takes a lot of courage for someone to make that decision at the end, to decide that I need to kill myself. Human beings are naturally fearful of death. And to someone to hate the world so much that they want to end their own lives takes a lot of courage to do it. And sometimes we think that people who are committing suicide, they basically are cowards, that they don't want to try and fight and to battle out these demons that are inside their minds. But you know what? They have fought. Just when you think they're a splattered of mud on the ground, they're actually like a knight fighting really valiantly in this battle, that they have taken up the sword do the best to fight the battle. But this is a battle that they cannot overcome by themselves. And eventually, they'll run out of energy and they'll falter. Or even, as a church community, the dangers that we run into is that church is misunderstood as this happy place that we only allow good vibes to exist in this church. That when people are going through pain, when people are going through suffering, our natural response is we need to deal with it. We need to manage it. We need to do something to cure the pain. Some sort of therapy, some sort of step program to go and manage and overcome these feelings. And as we're doing that, we basically get take away the opportunity for someone to grieve. We take away the opportunity for that person to dwell and make sense of the pain and the darkness that they're going through. That as we try to forcefully make them engage in therapy, engage in some sort of a solution to the problem, we are ignoring, we are underplaying the feelings that are going on in their heart. And so at the end, if church is not a place for fellow Christians who are contemplating depression to feel loved and encouraged and, and understood, then you can't help but think darkness then 
seemingly is the closest friend. And this is where partly the church has done ill to people who are going through mental illnesses. That a lot of times you try to theologize or to put God into the situation of people suffering. That there's always a myth stating that your experience of darkness, your experience of pain, is always God's plan. That somehow has placed you in this place so you can grow, so you can strengthen yourself, so you can be exercised to be stronger, to be more faithful, to be more resilient to the challenges in life. But I'm sorry. Sometimes this is not the act of God. This is just the reality of the brokenness of this world. That when people are going through pain and suffering, it's because of the imperfect world that we live in. It's not because God is trying to put some pain in your life so that you can be stronger. Sometimes it happens, but more often than not, it is just the reality of the brokenness. But instead, God is there to show compassion. God is there to walk alongside of you in darkness. And this is where, as a church, we need to learn to look upon Jesus as to what a community of walking alongside of those in darkness should be like. And this is on the issue of grieving. That as a church, we need to be better people of grieving with those who are going through pain and darkness. That if you look in the Old Testament, when they talk about the civil and the rituals of mourning and grieving, it's not something that just ends with a 12 or 5 step program. It's not some stages of grieving that you go through and then you're cured. But it takes a long period of time of grieving as a community, that when someone dies, the whole community grieves together with those who are undergoing distress. That grieving is an ongoing process that we need to walk together. That we can't just say, okay, you have been through two weeks. Now just put up your straps and just carry on and, and go on with life. But if there are pain that are not resolved, we cannot just ignore them and just carry on. We need to acknowledge those pains and help those individuals to mourn and to grieve until they're ready to go on. And part of the problem with our bad knowledge and abilities to grieve is we would always bring people to a solution. We'll always bring people to the Bible and just say, things will be better. Look at the Bible. Look at these verses that in the book of Isaiah, we talk about for God has a plan for you to prosper or in Philippians, that you can do all things in Christ who has given you that power. But that's not the solution. In fact, the solution isn't even the solution to what we're supposed to do as a community of God. That we only see that base of the cross, but we neglect 
the true power of the cross, who is, which is on the dying and sacrificial love and grace of Jesus Christ. That the power of the cross does not start with compassion. I mean, does not start with solution, but with compassion. The power of the cross starts with compassion, not solution. You're not going to go and read John 3.16 and say, God so has a solution for us that he sent his one and only son so that we will not perish but have eternal life. But most of us would know that it starts off saying, for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. That everything starts with God's compassion and love for us. That solution comes afterwards when we are able to extend love and compassion and grace to the people who are in distress. And so when we think of the lives of those who are going through suffering, the ones who are contemplating the thought of suicide, it's just like those images we saw earlier, that life seemingly makes sense whatsoever. That when they go through life, this is the world they're in. That everything they're experiencing, everything they're encountering, or even the people that are trying to talk to them out of this darkness, seemingly makes no sense to them. And so, instead of trying to offer solutions to people, trying to just chime in and, and try to solve people's problems, we need to be careful here. That a lot of the times, our need to offer advice, our need to offer solutions, it's not because of our compassion to help. It's not because of our love for the person. But rather, often there's underneath a sense of discomfort, a sense of uneasiness when you hear people going through pain. Your automatic response is, I need to get rid of this pain that I'm experiencing because of these stories that I heard, because of these distress that other people are, are expressing, that I need to manage it. I need to offer them a solution out of it so I don't experience this pain myself. But in, as what Jesus has taught us, is about walking together. Not because we need to offer a solution, but rather it's because we are to offer our heart to those who are undergoing distress. For someone who has gone through this attempt of suicide, when people try to talk me out of it, when people try to offer me advice, it just becomes a lot of noises around me. And I cannot really understand and make sense of the pain that I'm going through. That it becomes a lot of pollution around me. A lot of distress, a lot of distraction around me. And so instead, instead of being an extra voice to add onto these pollutions, may we as a community learn to offer our hearts instead of our voices, to offer up our compassion instead of solutions, and to offer the compassion and sacrificial love of Jesus rather than just hollow, empty encouragement verses many of which are out of context. Let us pray together.
Father God, we thank you for giving us this community. We're able to walk life in good times and in dark times. And Lord, as we continue to go through this journey, it is inevitable that ourselves or even those around us emotional and mental distress, Lord. And as a community, may you remind us to be people of compassion, to extend our loves and our hearts to those who are going through distress, and to be one who can listen and to understand the pains of others rather than trying to just resolve and manage other people's pains. We thank you for this time of worship, and may you continue to be with us in our worship together. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.